There are 7.5 billion people on planet Earth, and scientists say you can only make friends with 400 of them. Jacob already has 400 friends, so now he can only talk to strangers. This is a podcast with strangers. Welcome back to a podcast with strangers. I am your host, Jacob, and I'm joined again, again, with these two titans of intelligence. Mr. Dallas. Hey, guys. Hey, uh, what's your last name again, Jake? Dyer. Let me just... Dyer? Yeah. Like D-I, Dryer, like Dryer without the R? <sighs> We're not going to... Well, it's D-Y-E-R, but you know. All right, cool. Mm. Got it. And I'm joined by uh, Chris. Hey, guys. That's it? Yep. That's it? That's it. These people tune in. These For people you. tune in every week. And they want yeah. high energy stuff, and that's that's what you that's what you give them. Really, I'm sorry. That, uh, really? Can, you roll, can you roll back? No, we can. That's it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'll just cut this in. Hey, Jake, how's it going? Oh, it's, shit. it's your boy. That is so. That is so cheeky. That is cheeky. And yeah. they'll not know what you're talking about because yeah. that's the cut I'm using. Yeah, you're gaslighting me over a podcast. How dare you? With his name in it. This is Jacob Dreyer. We're talking All about. Right. You know, you know how many times? Okay, no, we're not going to get into it. This week, we have got the incredible Doug the Bagman. I don't think that's what he actually goes by, but I think it's a good name. Bagman Doug, I think. Is oh, it's Bagman name. Doug? No, I don't know. Okay. Because uh, that kind of sounds like Scatman John. Oh, right here. Doug Dryman. I mean, Diamond. No, no R. Right. But his, his yeah. website's like onebag.com bag, one or something. Yeah. We do a lot of research here, guys, just listening in. We do a, a heap, a heap of research. We met this guy, but how am I supposed to remember his last name? I don't even know mm. most people's last names. Uh, Doug, if you are listening, uh, we do apologize for this. Uh, it's been a while. We're a bit rusty. Um, yeah, yeah, Chris is throwing off everything. Yeah, Chris is. It, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's Chris's fault. That's right. Normally, we're super on it. Yeah. Hey guys, how's it going? All right, you just still on this? <laughs> you're gonna be doing it. You be doing it in the mirror later on, <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to nail it. It's how yeah, it's how I uh, give myself an emotional boost in the morning. I look at myself and I go, "Hey guys, how you doing?" That's usually the reaction to it. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, guys, let's stop talking about this uh, incredibly interesting topic and let's listen to Doug the Bagman and how you, yes, you, the listener, can improve your life when you go traveling. Take it away, me. My next guest is Doug Diamond who is the owner of OneBag.com, the One Bag Man, as you may know him. And he is here to talk to us about the One Bag and also, well, anything he wants. Hello, Doug. How are you? Hello, Jacob. I'm fine, thank you. So, One Bag, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's crack that egg. It's about traveling light. And before we started this podcast, I told you I normally travel with, with two bags. Right. So whenever I go to Belgium, for example, um, I have a rucksack with stuff I need immediately. And then I have uh, a duffel bag with like the clothes that I have for the next few days. Where am I going wrong? You're carrying too much stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, I mean, it, travel is a very is a very unique experience and and people do it different ways um, to coincide with with the experience that they're looking for 
and so, you know, it, far be it from me to say that someone else is doing it wrong. Um, but but I'm very happy to say that there are ways to do it better. Uh, I see. I mean, since the Roman poet Juvenal back before Christ wrote about travel, um, he said that uh, the best way to travel is to travel light. And pretty much all travel writers um, since that time have been largely echoing that same sentiment that there are there are incredible benefits that result from traveling light, uh, mm. some of which are, I'm sure, obvious to everyone. Most people have thought, oh, I wish I didn't have to lug so much stuff around with me. Absolutely. But but there are lots of benefits that that don't immediately spring to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so onebag.com is intended to be a site that 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 first of all does a little bit of preaching, uh, telling you about why you should travel light. Yes. But but most of the website is devoted to to instructional material on how to do it, um, because there's not a lot out there, and there's a lot of. There's a lot of folklore out there about traveling light and a lot of, you know, sort of old wise tales that people have heard from other people about how you're supposed to travel light. And some of the advice is not only doesn't work, it's just really bad advice. So so One Bag Lives, it's a non-commercial site. I don't sell mm-hmm. anything. Um, I don't have guest posts. Uh, there's nothing on the site that that, that is designed to, to make me money, so I, I have no reason to say something that I don't personally believe to be true. And I have a great deal of experience you know, traveling, so um, so yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. That's really kind of you to do it all off your own back and obviously have the, the server costs and and keep the website alive. And there's there's also subreddits, I don't know if you've caught the, uh, the traveling, I think there's like a traveling light subreddit where they, people show off how little they travel with um in your opinion is is that too little can you can you uh, travel with with too little in your pockets so to say i mean i know a guy who travels literally with nothing except what he wears on his person good lord and his clothes are to be fair somewhat modified <laughs> ah. um, but uh, uh but you know bottom line is the guy doesn't doesn't carry anything except what fits in his pocket. I mean, I, I carry my little light one bag and people are amazed when I get off the plane, knowing that I'm going to be there for a week and a half and I'm going to be in three different countries and I, <laughs> and it's a business trip. I mean, most yeah. of my, I'm retired now, so I don't travel for business much anymore, but, but the, the, the great majority of my travel over the last 40, 50 years has been business travel. So I had to be you know business presentable computer yeah. stuff with me and a suit and tie and 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 all of that kind of stuff and and i would get off a plane with my one bag and people would just look and say well where's the rest of your stuff and i'd say this is it um and that's amazing but but i can be amazed too because as i say there's this one guy who doesn't really have anything now he travels only in tropical countries <laughs> so so his, ah, his clothing requirements are are less whereas you know i I could be in Moscow in the dead of winter when I was working, except for except for special situations where I've gone, you know, somewhere to visit family and have taken a bunch of stuff for yeah. them. 
uh, which I checked. But, but aside from those pretty obvious uh, and very rare situations, I have never checked a bag in my life. I just don't ever use bag checking services. Wow. That is, that is quite an achievement, really, that you've never, you never checked a bag. Well, there's a lot of thought that's gone into it. I mean, it's not, it's not just that, it's not just that one day I decided I was carrying too much stuff. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, it's, it's refined over time. And, and, and to be fair, I'm, I'm of a sort of an engineering scientific mindset who probably overanalyzes everything he does. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and, and, and I've had, as I suggested, I've had the opportunity to travel a lot in a lot of different countries and in a lot of varying situations. And so I've had more opportunity than most and more inclination than most to, uh, to, to figure out a good way to do this. And I'm a lot better now than I was when I first started. Um, but, uh, but, but uh, it's still something that, that most people in most situations could do if they yeah. decided they really wanted to do it. Well, an interesting thing about, um, I don't know if this extends to other Western country, but a British people, um, when we travel, we have a sort of compulsion. So say we were going for a long weekend, which is essentially four days. Right. We will pack eight pairs of underwear and about 16 pairs of socks, just in case. Just in case something happened. Dallas, do you, did you ever do that when you were growing up? You just packed a... Uh, yeah, that's all you really eight. need, right? Is underwear <laughs> and socks. I could just pack a one bag full of nothing but that. Too many, essentially, is what I'm saying. Way too many socks and pants. Obviously, our definition of pants. Right. Uh, I don't know. Does that? Do you guys have that in uh, over in the other continent? It depends more on the people, I think, than the than the geography. I mean, right. there are certainly people who feel that way. But really, when you think about it, if that's all you're worried about is underwear and socks, sure. um, th that takes up very little space. Yeah. So you could very easily pack a week's worth of underwear and socks changing twice a day if you wanted, and you still wouldn't be close to filling up a decent bag. That's true. That's true. So what? what all what, the other stuff that, that, that kills you. <laughs> it's what, all, what, uh, you know, oh, I might have dinner. I might be invited to dinner with the queen, so I'd better pack <laughs> uh, you know, and, Good and luck. That's what kills people is the what if uh, situation. Yes. Absolutely. So I'm looking at uh, onebag.com mm -hmm. forward slash checklist.html if anyone wants to check this out. And this is the most um, incredible packing list I've ever seen in my life. Um, it has everything. Right. Gloves, mittens, and right next to the gloves, mittens, sun hat. You know, right. you, you, exactly. you, or, now, has anyone ever gone on holiday and brought a flashlight, head strap, extra batteries and bulbs with them that is an incredible so i'm guessing your your one bag crusade is against people who would bring something like that with them on holiday because you know a head strap i mean i personally um always have a flashlight with me um not always a head strap in fact quite rarely a head strap anymore but um uh, but i would never I would never get on a high horse and say, oh, you should never bring X with you or you should always bring Y with you. I mean, that's up to people. Sure. Um, uh, some people, what they consider to be critical to their happiness, I think mm -hmm. is a frivolous waste of time. Um, my point 
uh, and it's emphasized by your comment by looking at that at that list um, is that uh, most people's perspective if you look up on the internet uh, packing list if you do a Google search on that you'll get a gajillion hits yes Uh, and and most of those you will find come from commercial sources they're sort of lists of things that they would like to sell you but but I view and promote on my site. I mean, to me, to me, one of the key elements of learning how to pack uh, in one bag efficiently mm-hmm. uh, is to have a good packing list. And to me, that's obvious because as a scientist, I was brought up to believe that anything that you can't measure uh, is something that you can't really talk intelligently about. You're just winging it. You're just yeah. making stuff up. And so my packing list is uh, partially a measurement tool, um, and it's a, but it's a different packing list than, than what most people think of as a packing list. Most people, if they think packing list, they think a list of things that they, that they should remember not to forget to bring with them. Um, whereas in my case, a packing list is, is an extreme document. It's here is everything that I can imagine under any possible circumstances that I might want to have with me on some kind of a trip or another. That's my packing list. So it's really long. It's really, it's a big list. But on any given trip that I go on, vast chunks of that list are irrelevant, so they don't get packed. The packing list is there to make sure that I don't forget things that I might want to take, but but I don't take all that stuff on, on one trip. That said, if that list that you're looking at, um, I can get everything on that list into a carry-on bag. So I, I mean, obviously some of the items on that list, like a pair of shoes I would wear and it wouldn't go in my bag. Um, but it's, 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 it's generally a fair statement. I'm not really exaggerating to say that I could put everything in that list in one bag if I really wanted to. Wow. But normally I don't. Because there's another element to this, which is that, um, I mean, there's basically three elements to learning how to be a light packer. One uh-huh. is to learn how to not take a bunch of stuff that you don't really need. <laughs> um, and, and, and I'm giving you these in sort of order of importance as well. Right. So okay. most important, don't take stuff that you don't need. Everybody comes home from a trip and looks at the stuff that they packed that they carried around Europe for three weeks and they never used it once. Right. Um, and then the second thing is once you once you've gotten past that first thing where you've kind of whittled it down to what you really need, mm-hmm. now you want to look at finding travel friendly versions of those things, lighter, smaller. Um, um, multi-use versions, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then the third step, which is which a lot of people, when they come to my site, they come to my site because of the third step. And, and that's wrong, because if you're not good at the first two steps, you're going to really screw up the third step. But the third step is to find a good bag, is to find a, a bag that's right. properly optimized for travel. But if you if you try to if you go looking for and spending money on a bag 
that, that is optimal because on my site I say this is a really good kind of a bag. That's really a bad decision unless you've already worked through the first two because yeah. you're still going to have too much stuff to go in that bag. So, so, so I'm I'm looking at uh, the, the subreddit for one bag right now and they're saying that uh, the Peak Design have a 45 litre bag. Is that... Um... To me, that seems like a lot. Really? Um, yeah. That's incredible. I don't know. The, the the sort of industry standard, I mean, it's not really an industry standard. It's really a kind of rule of thumb, but it's it's workable. And that right. is that the um, is, is that the external, I mean, basically, this is roughly the rule that airlines use to say whether or not you can bring the bag on the plane. Yeah. And except for the real budget airlines that try to shrink you down even smaller, most major airlines in the world, the rough rule of thumb is 45 inches overall. So length plus width plus depth yeah. can't be more than 45 inches. Um, and how many liters that is depends on the shape of the bag. 45 liters is, is, is a fair bit, I would think. Right. Yeah. So what is the difference between packing light and packing effectively? If, if, if I may ask you such a complex question. It's, it's a bit of a, it, it's a difficult question to answer because it depends on, I mean, light, I know what that means, but what does sure. effectively mean? It depends on, on you. Mm. <laughs> so for me, packing, packing light is the goal. Okay. Packing light also means packing small, but if you, if you worry about the light part of it, the small part will come for free. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, just, just as little stuff as you really need. Learn, learn. I mean, there's lots of tricks. There are things like how do you pack clothing without it being rumpled and, and stuff like that, which is really critical to having a good travel experience. And yet, technically, that's not part of packing light. Um, yeah. But it's an important travel uh, skill to have. But yeah, if you if you if you get rid of the stuff that you don't really need and you look for the lightest, somewhat lightest. I mean, you don't want junk. Yes. But um, the the lightest, decent quality versions of that thing, then then you'll be happy. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Yeah, and a lot of it is too. There's this there's this magical step that happens which which I certainly preach um, and and sometimes if I get interviewed for stuff like that the whole interview gets to be an argument about this one about this one item okay. um, so I'll mention it now and get it out of the way you, <laughs> okay you can have me expand on it to whatever extent you can <laughs> there's a kind of a magic thing that happens in one's journey uh, from traveling like most people do to to truly traveling light uh, right. and like I said that involves you know packing moderation weight reduction and bag optimization but you will eventually reach a point at which the amount of stuff and the commensurate weight of that stuff that you have learned to travel with gets low enough that you can just toss it on your back and you can forget entirely about wheels and all of that kind of stuff and the kind of bags, the kind of bag designs that have to be done in order to accommodate wheels and make them work. Yeah. And that one magic step in and of itself 
will completely transform your life because now everything in your travel life mm -hmm. um, because now everything you need is just on your back and it's not super heavy on your back it's just on your back it's like right. 10 kilograms maybe of stuff and uh and most people not everybody admittedly this doesn't work for everybody um mm -hmm. but the the great majority of people can throw something on their back that weighs 10 kilograms that's including the bag yeah. and not be discomfited by it <laughs> and they could walk around town all day with that yeah and that's everything they need for their two-month trip to asia or wherever and that is so transforming you can mm -hmm. just go anywhere you're as mobile as it's possible to be unless you're naked uh, <laughs> you can leap onto trams and, and buses and coaches and hop onto planes and if your plane gets delayed you can hop onto another plane or go get on a train somewhere you don't care about any of that stuff yeah. you're not paying people to store your luggage or haul it for you you don't have to worry about people stealing it or putting uh, contraband goods into it or damaging it or any of that all that stuff just goes away you become a free soul mm -hmm. uh, and and especially if you're traveling for leisure but even if you're traveling for business um that's just hugely freeing it really is and it's yeah. and it's a very difficult thing to get across to people who've never had that experience because people go off on a trip and part of their whole trip from beginning to end is thinking about where their stuff is and is it safe and is it going to arrive with me and what's it going to cost me and and how am I going to get it from here to there and, and all of that and that just all disappears and that's a huge weight off off most people's minds I think. True. Unless you get mugged. Unless you get mugged, but people tend <laughs> not to not to mug folks like you because you look competent and in control. True. The kind of people who get mugged are the ones that are hauling around big suitcases and looking frantically yeah, yeah. and worried about where they're going and how to get there and all that kind of stuff. It's mm. you know, it's indecisive people that get mugged. It's not people who look like they know what they're about. So with all this uh, all this talk about um traveling light and 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 obviously on other subreddits people are backpacking light and stuff like that there are a bunch of companies who are making stuff like uh, rucksacks for it and also like uh there's t-shirts that have got special wicking um fabric so the sweat doesn't accumulate the same way that cotton does um yep. there's also sort of plasticky rubber tubes for you to put your shampoo and conditioner in and things like that or maybe some other substance yep. um what would you say is the best thing to invest in and what would you say is like a total scam and you don't need to put any money into it the scams are are the sort of multifunctional wheeled bags that have everything built into them and all this kind of stuff another good scam is the uh the rfid scam about your, your wallet needs to have this thing in it so that people can't read your credit card numbers and stuff like that right those are just total complete scams um in terms of what's best once again it's hard to say i mean anything that makes your load lighter um more reliable and there are many things there are many things i mean yeah you don't want to be 
you don't want to be wearing cotton socks. Cotton is, is the worst thing in the world for socks. And yet, if you read almost any, you know, Amazon page of selling socks, they're all telling you how wonderful cotton is for socks. Well, it's awful. It's awful. Ask any athlete. Ask any, go to any athlete anywhere in the world. Ask an athletic coach, you know, about cotton socks, and they'll tell you that cotton is rotten. You just never, never want cotton socks. It's, That's if, so you had, if you were trying to pick the worst possible fabric for socks, it would be cotton. And this is nothing to do with travel. This is just normal, everyday life. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of misunderstood things out there. Um, yeah, wicking clothing is much better, especially for socks, um, but really anything, uh, any, especially undergarments, especially. I'm seeing a lot of bamboo here. Bamboo is apparently the best for running socks, everyday socks, sports socks. Yeah, I would say not. I mean, I haven't extensively tested that, but but, you know, modern polyester fabrics are for the most part, the way to go. Um, and again, people have, you know, there, there, there are old white tales about that, about, oh, polyester, you know, yuck. Um, and yeah, back in the 60s, polyester was yuck. <laughs> Only a fool would wear something made out of polyester. But nowadays, polyester yarns are unbelievably high-tech and clever. They're, the, you know, they're multi-channel hollow strands Hmm. with little fuzzy things on the on the outer surface yeah. i mean it's better than a natural fabric and it and it lasts longer and it dries more quickly and it wicks moisture away from your body all of that kind of stuff um so yeah i mean and it looks good too it, it does again in the 60s it looked horrible but <laughs> nowadays it's pretty hard to tell looking at something what it's made out of so to sum up the worst thing is to invest in a suitcase that has like a battery pack or a coffee holder or something like that, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and there are, there's sort of a couple of issues there. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is the obvious one that you're alluding to with that comment, which is just sort of stupid stuff that you don't really need. And that's ridiculous. Um, but the other is, uh, and less uh, obviously bad, but still, in my view, bad, is is the sort of um, over-compartmentalization of bags that you see. You'll see bags that have special little compartments in them for this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's generally a, a bad idea. I mean, all of that adds weight to the bag. Um, it's putting compartments in there that the designer of the bag, who's never met you in his life, doesn't really know what you need. Yeah. Uh, so you might be paying for a laptop compartment where you never carry a laptop. You go mm -hmm. around the whole world with your with your iPad or something or whatever. I mean, I'm just kind of winging it here and making these things up. But but you don't know what I have in my bag. So don't be trying to design a bag for me that has a special compartment for those things that you don't know anything about. It's better to get a really high quality bag made of really good materials. And I talk about all that kind of stuff on my site. Mm -hmm. um, but but it's mostly, uh, you know, a, an open space into which you can put stuff. Now, I'm not saying compartmentalization is a bad idea. It's not. Um, you want to be able to put, you know, all your electronics in one place rather than just have it all floating around in the bag. But it's better that, that 
you don't look for a bag in which the compartment to hold the electronics is already built in because they don't know how much electronics you have they're probably using the same fabric that they use in the outside of the bag to do that which is heavier and thicker than it needs to be much better that you use um you know little travel pouches and and uh, and that kind of thing little cube bags and things to do your own compartmentalization don't don't expect the maker of the bag to do it for you because they shouldn't have you ever thought about making designing your own bags in your in your something to do perhaps <laughs> well, I've 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 had other pursuits in my in my working career, and and I probably uh, was more successful monetarily than I would have been as a guy who designed bags. Um, but I have designed a couple of bags, um, a couple of uh, companies, uh, Red Ox in particular. A company came to me whoa way back when in the. I'm going to say the early 2000s, best best memory, um, and said, hey, you obviously know a lot about bags. We're looking to get away from, not away from, but we're looking to add to our adventure line of luggage and make luggage for like business people and normal tourists and that kind of stuff. But we really don't know what you need. So could you help us? And I did that and they made, they ended up making what I think are really good bags. Okay. Um, so yeah, I've done a little bit of it, but just casually, I wasn't paid for it. I got a free bag out of the deal. That was it. I, I made it clear that I didn't want to be paid for it because then it sounds <laughs> like a, pushing something that I make money out of my site. And I'm quite adamant that I want, I want it to be clear to, to everyone who reads my site that it is a non-commercial site. Absolutely. Welcome back to a podcast with strangers. You have reached the halfway limit. So uh, if you're working out or I don't know, what do people do when they listen to podcasts? Work out, probably. Kill people? Drive. Yeah. Some people sleep. I listen to podcasts driving. Do not listen to us when you are sleeping. We will infect your psyche and influence you in negative ways. Yeah, that's that's the disclaimer. That's the disclaimer. You can't sue us now, Ant. So this week... For our middle section, I'm going to ask both of you guys and myself a question. What is the strangest uh, potato chip or crisp, as I call it in this country, uh, flavor that you have encountered in your life? Ooh, I got one like very recently, like a week ago. Mm-hmm. I was at a Mexican gas station and I bought chorizo flavored Fritos. Interesting. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, these are going to be good. I don't know if it was expired, but it tasted like gasoline. Oh. The flavor was gasoline. Not good. It was crazy. Yeah. But um, not a weird flavor on the bag. Like the advertised flavor wasn't that weird. Mm. Did you finish the bag? No, Zach did. Oh my God. He ate gas yeah, he, he, fritos. <laughs> it took him a while. He's like, I don't know. It does <laughs> taste weird. Chris? Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty plain Jane when it comes to potato chips, so I guess... Uh, I haven't really come across or eaten strange potato chips, but I just Googled strange potato chips and mm-hmm. they do have a KFC original recipe potato chip. Yeah, we have that in this country. Uh, what? Yeah. yeah. That's normal? Have, oh, it does yeah. say Germany on it. That sounds like an American thing. Yeah. Like, no. Taking our yeah. culture. Yeah, we have KFC, our... KFC chicken crisps. Yeah. It's a crisp. Chicken crisp. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what would be really interesting is if you did that and then you... Um, Crush the bag and then use that as um, chicken breadcrumbs. Yeah, yeah, people oh, do that. Yeah, yeah. So you, that'd be like 
extra chicken flavor. Yeah, extra. You like double chicken the chicken. Yeah, that would be double KFC the chicken. I wish we could have a podcast title called Double Chicken the Chicken. I think that would be really good. <laughs> but uh, what what about you, Jake? Um, for a I while, mean, the KFC chips that you apparently. Apparently, Europe is just known for having weird. Yeah, weird I, I was chips. in Belgium for a period, and um, there's there's cheeseburger uh, crisps over there, which is pretty interesting. Um, but years ago, I remember Cajun squirrel. What? Yeah, yeah, Cajun Have squirrel. Had, does it taste like, like real Cajun squirrels? I d- I never had it. I, I was I was a young young lad when when these came out. But yeah, yeah. Cajun squirrel was a genuine thing, and if people doubt me, you know, go ahead, go Google it. It's real. It was. I uh, am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's uh? What's why is Walkers on the Lay's logo? Ah, yeah. Walkers and Lay's are the same company, but we call them Walkers over here because it sounds more fancy. Not really. Yeah. Walkers. That's like what old people need to walk. Yeah, yeah. Like a power Walkers. Yeah. What do you What do you call wa- like Walkers? We don't call it Walkers though. We just call it crisps. Like we don't we don't do names. We don't do brands that much, you know. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, I like the picture of the squirrel though. He he knows it's gonna about to happen. Yeah, he knows he's about to die. Yeah, he's done. Cajun squirrel. I really like that when I, when I was in America. I really liked that. Um, you could buy a sack of crisps at, at a period of time, like the multi bags. That you could buy a oh. fucking sack of them, like twenty what, at a time. You guys don't do that. No, we yeah. have, most you have is about eight or six. You know. Um, but yeah, you could really put, and, and and as somebody who has, I I would say I have a primal lust for crisps. Um, oh. tw- twenty at a time is <laughs> godlike. You know, that's I know I get you for Christmas but or Box Day or whatever you guys do. They're the individual bags, though. Yeah, that's fine. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just bash one after one after one. I would just not stop. Twenty is. Why don't you just get one of them big old family packs? You guys have those. No, we don't. But interestingly, I was trying to research. <coughs> Jesus, sorry. I was trying to. I was trying to. Re- sorry, I just got so aroused by Chris. I started coughing. Um, I was doing some research. Chris, <laughs> I was doing some. Shut up. I was trying to do some research about what the 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 biggest amount of crisps I could buy at one period of time is, and um, when you get to a big enough amount crisps stop coming in bags and they start coming in plastic tubs <laughs> like you reach you reach like a, a peak and then it just starts like it's a whole different packaging um and you can get a kilogram in a plastic tub dang yeah that's a lot right yeah yeah what's that let me look it up one, one. kilogram to pounds yeah that's two pounds holy shit 2.2 pounds of uh of, of crisp of potato Wow. I feel like it, I feel like if you're eating two point two pounds of fucking crisps, then you need help. You you need to get to crisp rehab. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. So looking at this, it looks like you guys had like one of them vote for your weirdest flavor yeah. type contests, yeah. which we did the same thing, but our flavors were like normal. Mm-hmm. Yours are fucking weird. Yeah, crispy duck and what? What does that say? Poison, crispy poison sauce. Poison. Oh, like okay. Do you have gelled eel chips? No. No. <laughs> Why is with you every time? What? What? You this is not the first time you've brought up jellied eels. Yeah, because in your country you guys have jellied eels. Yeah, but it's not in my it's like as it's like a tiny, tiny part of London. It's not even yeah, like that's nationwide. Like, like what, forty five minutes away from you? That's oh shut that's up. close enough. 
All right, I'm pulling the fucking cord on this. Let's carry on with the interview with Doug. That's what people are here for, not hearing about the, the jelly eel discourse. Um, I forgot my train of thought, I'll be honest with you. Well, actually, actually, on the um front page of your website, of your Doug Diamond website, you mentioned that you have traveled to loads of countries, loads. And you have also traveled by many, many different means. Like, prob- I don't know, what, what haven't you traveled on? What, what means of travel are, are you, that you have yet to conquer? Helicopter. Oh. For, some, for some reason, I have never managed to get myself on a helicopter. Really? Yeah, well, I think that's the only, I mean, I sailed a small sailboat from Vancouver to Hawaii, 21 day what? trip. So I've done some what? serious <laughs> transportation what? stuff. But, yeah, but I've never, never, uh, I've been in a helicopter, but I've never flown anywhere in a helicopter. Oh, uh, well, that's the one thing I have you on. The fact that I've, uh, I've been in a helicopter. There you go. <laughs> um, and you haven't. Sorry, from Vancouver to, to Hawaii. Yeah. And how big was the boat? 41 feet. That's nothing. Yeah, how pretty t- small. And it took three weeks. Yeah, exactly 21 days. Well, t- um, no, out of Vancouver, it was more like 25 days. But from, from the point at which uh, we departed um, the, the you know visible shore, yeah. which was uh, Neo Bay, Washington State, which is the upper left-hand corner of the United States, um, from that point to, uh, to Hawaii was 21 days. Yeah, yeah I've, just, uh, I've just found it. I've just found it on yeah. Google Maps. Um, so how many how many people were on the boat? I'm sorry, I invited you all to talk about bags, but this is way, oh. this is way more fun. Uh, so you were on <laughs> really. because this is mad. You so well, it was no lots of people, lots of people do. I fewer people did it back then, right? Because back then you had to know how to navigate, whereas now you just you know carry a box of uh, GPS receivers and hope that at least one of them continues to work. Um, and you don't have to worry about navigation. But back then, you had you need to have to you know you needed a sextant and a chronometer, and you needed to know how the stars and the sun and all that kind of stuff worked. Which is what I did. I was the navigator on the boat. There were four of us. There was a cook, a navigator, uh, and then the two other sailors. People just there for the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. tourists. Well, they did most of the, the other two did most of the hard work, to be honest, because they were raising and lowering sails. And all oh, that I that see. Stuff. Although I was doing that, too. The only one who was the only one who was not doing sort of sailing work was the cook. You know, she 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 uh, she was immune to seasickness. So she got to sleep in the forepeak of the boat, which is the worst part of the boat to sleep in if you're, you get seasick. Wow. And um, and and she made all the meals and kept the boat tidy and that. And the other three of us, all of whom were male, um, we did the sailing and, in my case, the navigating. So when you're out there and and you just see nothing but open ocean, how often is it that you see another ship or another boat or maybe some aircraft? Almost never. Almost never. Even even now, I understand that that's true. But back then, I went in... when did I go? Um, it would have been the it would have been the late seventies. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, and no, you, you don't. I mean, you see a few boats just as you're leaving, and you see a few boats when you're arriving. But out in the middle there, you see you see nothing. I mean, you intentionally stay out of the shipping lanes um, because remember, you're you're sailing day and night, and and those big ships aren't really. They're supposed to be paying attention, but really they're not. Mm. They're all just playing cards and drinking and their and their you know and their navigational equipment is driving the ship for them so they'll mm. run you down if you get in their way so you stay away from those but um but no you don't see anything out there except water and albatrosses and flying fish and, and the, the occasional glass float from japan <laughs> how did that- how does that um affect your mind when you're out there sorry did you say glass float from japan yeah, they, they, I don't know if it's as true now as it was then, but the, the giant fishing nets that they use, the floats that they use in Japan are actually made, uh, they're actually gla- hollow glass balls uh, wrapped in uh, netting. Right. They're very attractive. You see them in, if you go into seafaring shops for tourists, you'll see them. They're usually, you know, fake, but they, but they look really, really pretty. It, it affects you. I mean, it depends. Some people are not suited for it. Some people are. It changes your perspective on life, to be sure. Um, you go out there. I mean, for example, um, most of us, if you say, "Where are the stars?" Yeah. they'll point up. <laughs> and and uh, but that's not really what it's like at all. That's what it's like w- when you live in the places that we all live in. Uh-huh. But if you're out in the middle of the ocean, the stars come all the way down to the horizon on all sides. And so, so especially you know at night when it's dark and you can't even really see the horizon, um, but you see you see that you're in this huge bowl of stars. It's not a flat plane of stars overhead. It's stars everywhere you look. Turn around, look over your left shoulder. There are stars all around you, wow. and that's really that's really amazing. I mean, we all know that because we all took science in in of high course, school. Yeah. But until you're out there and you experience that, you realize, wow, yeah. this is like completely different from my normal life. Dallas, have you ever been into like a, a desert or something like that and seen the stars? <laughs> no, in fact, oh. uh, I, it's, it's like you said, it's something like is obvious, but I yeah. would never think, oh yeah, that would that would be the case to be yeah. surrounded right. by the stars when... Exactly. I truly, exactly. I truly, truly, and I say this to, to you, Dallas, and also to our listeners, uh, to... to get out there and see the stars as our ancestors did like with the with a minimum amount of light pollution because i saw them in the desert once and it looks yep. it looks like there's a city above you that's the best way that i can describe it yep yep and the only difference in the middle of the ocean is the city is all around you right yeah because there's just zero even in the desert there's earthbound pollution sure. but out in the middle of out in the middle of the ocean oh. there just is nothing so what a... and everything looks bigger too so the moon um the moon seems to be like five times bigger than it is normally it's, <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost like you could reach out and touch it and yet it's the same moon and it's the same distance as it always wow. is but but there's nothing there's nothing to give you perspective out there because it's just yeah. There's just nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the moon seems to be really, really big. It's really, it's really impressive. So you wake up. I mean, obviously this was a while ago, and I don't mean that in like a negative way. But I mean, I'm assuming that your schedule would be wake up, have food, and then for the rest for the entire day, and perhaps even into the evening, you're up and yeah. down with sails, and you're figuring out where you are. 
and everything like that. And then how long did you, because you were a navigator, so do you ever just worry about going off course as you slept? No, or? unless the, well, of course, you, you, there's always somebody awake in a, in a small boat mm -hmm. um, where you're the only people. Somebody has to be awake all the time. Uh, and so you you you're you're sleeping in shifts. So you, you're never, no, except for our cook, <laughs> nobody gets to be awake during the day and sleep at night. Uh, every at any given moment of the day or night, somebody is in charge of the boat, uh, and it's one of the three of us. So you divide a day up into into you know three segments, and uh, and you shift them around. So it's not always the same person at the same time. And there are all kinds of elaborate schemes for doing that. Um, and so, yeah, so, so, you know, you might be, you might be the one who's, who's on deck from, you know, 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. or something like that. So did you, when, when you um, went from Vancouver or Washington State down mm -hmm. to Hawaii, did you fly back or did you sail back? I flew back. <laughs> yeah, you were like, I'm not having any of that again. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I would have happily sailed back. Oh. But, the, uh, but the guy who owned the boat... Um, well, uh, uh, two of his sons um, couldn't do both trips because they were in school, but they wanted to go one way or the other. So I sailed the boat over, and and they sailed the boat. Back. Oh, I see. So, okay. Yeah. And how did no, you? No, I would have had one come back. How did you keep morale high? I don't know. I mean, there's there's lots to do. So it's not as if you're just sitting around saying, "What do I do now?" Right. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm a reader, so I'm totally happy to read a book or something, and I'd be perfectly happy to just sit in the boat and read a book for the next three weeks. That, that worked for me. Yeah. Um, but it depends. You know, that's why I say it's not suited to everyone. Some people would, I'm sure, go stir crazy. Um, and it can be a little a little scary if you're, if you're not comfortable with the whole thing and there's a storm or something going on. We only had one serious storm, and it wasn't that serious. Um, but if you were if you were just sort of you know, the nice lady from down the street who wanted to go on a boat trip and you were in that store, <laughs> you would have been terrified because yeah. you wouldn't have realized how safe it was, you know. I mean, you realize how safe it is when you look out and you see one of these glass fishing balls that's probably been floating out there for four years and it's perfectly fine and it's made out of glass. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it's, as long as the boat doesn't break as long as the the boat is physically strong yeah uh, and as long as it's more or less sealed uh, or can be sealed by closing up everything then it's kind of like the big glass fishing ball it might bounce around and you might not be too happy sitting inside of it mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's not going to sink or anything there's nothing to hit out there as long as you stay away from other boats so for, for those for those listeners and maybe even dallas um who heard uh, Doug there use the word sextant? Um, a sextant is uh, it's an instrument. It's a nautical instrument. Um, right. I've never actually even touched one. I've never. <laughs> I I wouldn't even know where to begin using them. Um, but it's sort of like a if you imagine a triangle but with a rounded bottom and then like a little telescope. Um, yep. How how do you use a sextant if you if you want to? Some. Well, without getting too deeply into it and boring your listeners with spherical trigonometry, the, the, the purpose of a sextant, it's really a very simple instrument. It's and it's its purpose it, it's an angle it's an angle measurer. And it and you use it to measure 
the angle between the horizon and whatever you're looking at. So it might be the sun or the moon, or it might be a star. Um, and you, if you know the angle between the horizon and whatever you're looking at, right. uh, and you know the precise time, it's the other thing you need to know when you're navigating, you need, you need, you need a, a measurement um, uh, of, you know, an astronomical measurement, and you need to know the time. So if you know the exact time that, let's say, the sun was at a certain height above the horizon, mm -hmm. that gives you a line of navigation. So now you can take out your map and you can draw a straight line on that map, and, um, and you can say, we're somewhere on that line. And if you do that twice, not twice like within five minutes of one another, but twice within an hour, say, or so, yeah. then you'll have two lines, and that's where you are, is where those two lines cross. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, this is an instrument that was made 250 years ago. Oh, yeah, more than that, yeah. Um, and it's it's still valid like it's still it still works um yeah yeah i think that's incredible i think that's that's very yeah, the difficulty was always time if you're into books there's a wonderful book by um simon winchester called i believe it's called longitude um and it, and it's he's a wonderful writer about scientific -y like things and uh, and this is a book about the search for calculating longitude you can always calculate latitude you know when the sun rises and sets and you know you know where you are latitudinally but you don't know where you are longitudinally and that's very difficult and the only way to know it as i said is to make some astronomical measurement and know the time right. and the problem was in the early days back in the old sailing ship days like really a long time ago like in galileo's time they had no way of, of going out to sea and keeping accurate time because they, you know, the clocks at that time, if they kept time accurately to within half an hour a day, they were doing really well. And to do, and to do navigation, you need within seconds to know the time. And, uh, and so the search was really for a clock yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that would keep accurate time. It's a great book if you're interested in that kind of thing. I mean, I just think it's remarkable how this, if we just still have, we're still using the methods that our great, great grandparents used. I think that's fantastic. A little piece of history just doesn't well, go. Well, we were when I was doing it, but nowadays we use GPS. Yeah, but if GPS failed, we would still, we would still well, use it. Well, that's, that's the case. Well, you, if GPS, if your GPS failed, which is certainly likely if you don't have lots of backup and sure. lots of electricity storage, um, then your only recourse is to is to do yeah. it the old-fashioned way. And most people these days wouldn't wouldn't know how to do that. I don't think so. You have to. It's it's not trivial. I mean, it's not rocket science, but it's it's you know, it's spherical trigonometry. So you know, that rules out a few people. So so that was uh, I think I believe that you said that was your best way of traveling. You said that, that, was, that well that's my favorite voyage, that's your favorite voyage. <laughs> of, of all the voyages I've sure. taken. Mostly I've been on planes, trains and automobiles. And but. and you know what I'm gonna have to ask. I mean what is the the what is the the worst uh the worst, the worst form of travel in your opinion? 
well, it's really that's that's really hard to say. Um, I mean, I like to travel, so so in some sense, uh, I don't really care uh, as long as it's a reasonably comfortable thing, and most most things are. I mean, so I I don't know. It would be hard for me to pick. I mean, I love boats. I love I love I love flying. I love you know. I love trains. Trains are maybe my favorite way of getting from point A to point B in the Earth.、Um, uh, Do you think America will ever have a, a proper rail network? Oh, I think it's too late.、Now. Really? I mean, the, the automotive company. I mean, they did. They started out that way because you know Americans came from Europe、sure. and they、yep. they had all the same sensibilities that everyone else had. And up here in Canada, same kind of thing.、Uh, we have. Sort of slightly different problems in Canada, but America's problems are very similar to European problems.、Uh, and and so initially they were doing what the Europeans were doing: were building rail lines and everything. And then the, and then the automotive industry got in the way. And you know, and and as these things happen, the automotive industry started.、Uh, Donating money to their favorite politicians and pretty much destroyed the railroads in favor of in favor of automobiles. And so now it would just be horrendously expensive to to construct. There are a couple of places in the U.S. where rail works still,、um, especially the corridor between New York and、uh, Washington.、Um, so in that area, there are trains and they work. They're not as reliable as European trains, but they. But but they're but they're pretty good. I mean, they're and, and the distances aren't 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 great. Um, uh, but uh, but anywhere else, it's just you know the trains are few and far between if they exist at all.、Uh, in, in Canada, we have we have this, the 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 you know the there is a train line that goes across Canada from from、uh, from east to west. Can, Canada is a Is a huge country. It's the second largest country in the world after Russia,、um, and and yet, you know, we have a population that's a tenth of the United States, and and the vast majority of that population lives within 150、uh, kilometers of the U.S. border. You know, so we're all huddled together at the warm end of the country, and so so there aren't there aren't a lot of Trains,、um, but there's one that goes all the way from the east coast to the west coast, basically,、yeah. and,、uh, and that's a great trip to take, and I've taken it several times.、Um, but it's a long trip, and it's not really a commuter thing. But, you know, people are going a long distance generally if they're on that train. But it's not like、um, I mean, the biggest, the biggest one that the most famous one, perhaps, would be the Trans-Siberian Express. Right, exactly.、Um, yes. Which I believe is not, it's not the same as it was. Um, That's my understanding too.、Yeah. I have never been on that train, but yeah. But the, you know, I mean, Canada is like forty-five hundred miles across or something, so it's、hell. a long, it's a long trip. Yeah, it may be interesting. I mean, the they, I don't know if it's like a, a sightseeing sort of trip because they have the ones they have train rides in in Switzerland, which have the um they have like glass roofs, so you can see all the glaciers and the rest of it. The train that goes across Canada, when it goes on the uh, uh, the part of the trip that takes it through the Rocky Mountains in Western Canada, they put on a couple of cars that have a glass roof、oh. just for that, just for going through the Rocky Mountains. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the age of that sort of travel, I think, is it will still it will remain because somebody wants to ride on it and somebody will run yes. it.、Um, yes. But like. The Oriental Express 
doesn't right. exist anymore in in the no, old no. sense if you if you catch that me. era has largely gone yeah. yeah right you're right but i would i would i mean i'm i'm much happier traveling around between cities in in europe than i am in, uh, over here because it's the only way to get around over here is to drive or to fly and yeah. and uh, although uh, nobody loves a road trip more than i do it's still it takes a long time and it's inconvenient maybe and yeah it's I'd be. I mean, it's interesting that you said that America's lost its chance of having a rail network um, yeah. because I, because whenever I talk to um, Americans about it, they say like, "Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to have one. I would love oh, to be yeah. able." And it's like, well, if the if the demand is there, um, it's too expensive. Right. The distance is too great. You know. I mean, we 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 forget that you know the entire British Isles could be submerged in in the great lakes i mean it's yes. just you know it's it just somebody yeah i live i used to live in england for a while i lived in cambridge for a while and um and of course everybody assumed i was an american because <laughs> british, <laughs> british people always assume that if you don't talk like them you must be an american but um but so i heard lots of comments about americans <laughs> when i when i was living there but my favorite one and it remains my favorite one and there's a good chance you've heard this because it's, it's not that obscure a comment but it's my favorite comment about the, the whole this whole thing and, and that was that the um the easy way to tell a difference between uh between an american and a brit is that um an American thinks a hundred years is a long time, <laughs> and a Brit thinks a hundred miles is a long distance. Well, it's yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I, I mean, I when I was living there, I would, you know, I, w I knew I wasn't going to be there. It wasn't a permanent move. Sure. I knew I was only going to be there for a year or two, and and I love I love England. My wife was born in Liverpool, and and I've been an Anglophile, you know, most of my life. Uh, my my ancestors all came from England, so oh, fantastic. Um, so so you know yeah. we were when we were there, we were determined to to take great advantage of it, and see as much of the UK as we could in the time that we were there. Um, and I had a car, um, and oh, I'm go. happy to drive. But I, I swear, you know, we would go somewhere. I mean, typically I would be working during the week, and then on Saturday morning we would get up and we would go somewhere. We would head in some direction, and we would stay overnight Saturday night at a B and B in whatever direction we were going, and then we would return and get home Sunday night. Mm -hmm. And um, and I would tell my fellow coworkers and friends in that what we had done, and they looked at us aghast, like. You did what? You know, you went all the way to, <laughs> to you know, wherever, Liverpool, you know, and just over the weekend. You know, I mean, you can drive from, from Land's End to John of Oates in a day and, and just... You know, it's it's just not that far to us. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Americans will drive a hundred miles for a burrito. So I mean, it's just it's nothing. <laughs> it's nothing. It blows but, my mind because I mean, Dallas. I believe Dallas. You your commute is when you told me about your commute. I was slack jeweled. Oh yeah, um, my my old commute uh, used to be seventy miles. Wow. That was there, so I guess one forty uh, round trip. One forty miles. That was every day too, yeah. But but then you know you told me your your house is older than my country, so. <laughs> yeah, my ha my my house would be Jacobean, in the era. Yeah. And also, it has an original floor. 
which is pretty cool but i mean it doesn't yep. it's just a floor to me that's just you know that's just old there's a there's a bridge near me that's older than that and it was used to transport cattle but i mean these things are just old they're they're around me oh in america um, we'll we'll find an old tree and make like a <laughs> we'll be like this yeah, tree yeah. is 200 years old and we're like wow what the heck <laughs> Yeah. But that's the said, Amer Americans think a hundred years is a long time. That's the glory of travel, right, Doug? That it's seeing yep. seeing things um, that you wouldn't see in your own country. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, exactly. And 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 more than that, I mean that that's the that's the initial attraction of travel to go and see, you know, whatever it is, the canals of Venice or, or you know, um, uh, the, the Eiffel Tower or whatever. Um, because you've always wanted to see that because you've seen it in the movies or something. So, you know, you go and you see it and you think, oh, wow, that's a really, that's a really nice tower. Um, but it's kind of an experience that's over in two minutes. But, but the real joy of travel, which you can only discover if you do it. Yes. Um, is that you get to you get to appreciate the world through the not only through the eyes but 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 through through the sensibilities through the context um, uh, uh, of other people uh, and you realize that other people have different ways of thinking than you do not just not just that you know they have canals for streets that they they don't think the same way they oh do, absolutely they never have yeah so and one thing i yeah. one thing i actually um i do i don't know if you do the same because you oh well, your canadians are well received um yeah Brit british people yeah. aren't yeah. um <clears throat> since we uh, invaded everybody at one point or another <laughs> um i i hate looking British abroad um, and mm. I also make it an effort to not go where the tourists are um, and I don't mm. know if you agree with that but I think the best way to see a city is not to go to where I mean there's 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 merit in museums and there's merit in art galleries and there's merit in in the sites but right to truly understand a country in my opinion I don't know if you agree Doug I, you know obviously voice your opinion here is is to go where the ordinary people are, um, right. to to instead of going to London, go outside of a, of the capital. Same goes for if you went to go visit um, Canada, like go out of Toronto, like you know, go go see the real Canada or the Canadians. Um, yep. Would you agree with that? Is that is that a good belief? I, I, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you you it's fine to go and see you know the tower of london or whatever it is um and but don't spend a lot of time there you know so you allocate of your of your five-day trip allocate one day to seeing all the famous sites mm -hmm. that you could have bought a postcard of with a better picture than the one you're going right. to take um and then and then get out into the into the you know the outside part and talk to people yeah. and and you will also find that the that the people that you t those people that you talk to the, who are not in the big tourist sites mm -hmm. that they also are much more positively disposed towards you i mean you say that people don't like the brits because because you invaded everybody yeah. um, uh, and they don't like americans because they're rude and loud and and whatever but um uh, uh, th that is much much less pronounced yes. if you get away from the big tourist area and and what's more is being a real american you know they never had sure. the chance to talk yeah absolutely and, yeah you you, you yeah. will become um 
you will become a story to them that they will tell. Yep. They'll go, I'm an yep. American one. Yep. Right. And you will also find out how nice people are. Sure. Yep. Or, shockingly, uh, <laughs> hostile. It's one or the other. Yeah, <laughs> Either yeah, they have complete yeah. preconceptions. But, but you're more likely to find the hostile ones in the big population. Areas. Sure. You're, you're, Absolutely. If you're away from all that, you're much more likely to find people who will invite you into their homes for, for a meal. And boy, what, what better way to learn about a country than... That's another mm. nice thing about traveling on trains is that you that you get a chance to, you know, it's unlike a coach yeah. uh, or, or a train or, or, or an airplane yeah. where you don't have really, you have a very limited opportunity to interact with people around you. Mm -hmm. But on a train, um, you can get up and walk around and meet, and meet people and uh, you'll quite often get people who will, who will literally invite you into their home. Have you been on the Eurostar, Doug? Yes, I have. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's great. I, I love trains in in, in in the UK and in, yeah. and in Europe. Well, in the UK, there. I don't know when was the last time you went to the UK, but they're not. Well, the trains they're, they're, are getting they're not worse. Quite as efficient in the UK, but there's still <laughs> no. trains. And trains true, are better true. than other things, I think. Well, uh, I think we have reached the, the natural end of the interview. So before you go, what we'd like mm -hmm. to do to all our guests is to give them an opportunity to promote something and that may be um, a website or a project that they're involved in or a person in their life or a charity or just anything they think that our listeners should know about or check out or what you're grateful for, anything like that. It's, it's just your chance. Um, so after you, this is your time. Well, I don't really have any anything specific. I don't sell stuff. I don't work anymore particularly. So I don't even really promote myself as a speaker as I did at one time or another. Um, mostly I encourage people to just bloody learn to think for themselves and, and stop and stop taking all of your information from from you know unreliable sources. Just learn mm -hmm. learn how to be independent, be curious, get out there, do some do some thinking on your own and not what other people would tell you to do. And yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much my 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 watchword as I go through life is to be curious, be pleasant, and uh, and just keep traveling. Keep traveling. That is incredible advice, Doug, and thank you so much for coming on. Um, listeners, you can check out his website, onebag.com, literally all one word, for incredible, incredible lists and reasons not to buy wheeled bags. Um, you hate wheeled bags, Doug. Clearly, much, you hate, yeah, you hate wheeled bags. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are some, you know, if you're if you're like 85 years old and you can't lift a 10 kilogram uh, bag, then get a wheeled bag. It's better than not traveling at all. But if you're <laughs> reasonably healthy, you, you will find your travel experience is is much much better than you could have ever imagined if you stop pulling a trailer around with you wherever you go. Okay, well there you go. You heard it from Doug. Don't buy a wheel bag. Doug, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Jacob. Welcome back to a podcast of strangers. You have hit the end part of the uh, of the episode, and I really hope that you have enjoyed Mr. One Bag himself, Doug, um, t teaching you, telling you about how to how to travel better and more efficiently, and potentially in a more fun way. Uh, Chris, you've just sent me a cardboard box of flavored potato chips. Yeah, they're barbecued flavor. Mm, you can buy it in a box. You can buy you can buy 
chips in a box. Yep, uh, one and a half pounds. It's not quite your two point two pounds, but right. It's still uh, pretty good, actually. Still pretty good. Still pretty good. So, if you have enjoyed this uh, this podcast episode with uh, with Doug, the crisps, um, and obviously with Chris too, please let us know. Email us uh, a podcast with strangers at gmail.com. And um, if, uh, if you don't like Chris, we'll get rid of him. Don't worry. Yeah, I'll get rid of myself. Don't worry. Yeah, he's he's Just let us know. He's actually he's actually hoping for it. He's waiting for an excuse. Yes, but um, if no one says anything, he's staying. He's staying. Okay. Yeah, he's staying for life. You can't get out of this yeah. that easy, Chris. If you want me to go, please email us at a podcast with a stranger at gmail.com. That was actually yeah, pretty good. You could do you could do jingles. You could do like insurance jingles or something. Yeah, you had that natural sing songy voice, that, that really? natural jolly uh yeah. you know demeanor about you. Oh, you thanks, Santa. <laughs> okay. I, I I actually played Santa in a school play once. I'm not doing it again. Mm. Oh. Yeah. How did you get in character for that role? Uh, I didn't read anything about it. I was a sixth grader and I was supposed to show up on like a third grader's play and I like, ruined it. Like, like you said, I didn't read anything about it. I like, guess if you had to do fucking research on Santa. Yeah. yeah. Santa, like, who, I need to get in this guy's head. Yeah, they didn't give me a role. It was. He's like, who is this Santa a bunch character? of third graders. What are his fears? What are his goals? <laughs>